Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage. You have to believe in the power of you. Uncomfortable is where the change is. be willing to question the impossible or you're planning for the inevitable. Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you are living your Cognitive Rampage. We are brought to you by Vermont Pure CBD Full Spectrum Wellness Products. Now, if you listen to the last podcast, uh, Grant Jacobowski was on the podcast, the founder of that. So uh, if you haven't heard that, I suggest you go back and listen to that podcast. It was Cognitive Rampage 220. He basically told you everything you need to know and even then some about CBD and Vermont Pure CBD Full Wellness Products Company, a, a beautiful company. We got deep into it, uh, but just for the top for you now, look, they grow all their hemp on organic Vermont farmland. That matters. It certainly matters to me. Uh, they focus on high CBD and terpene-rich varieties that provide maximum healing benefits. They, act, they extract all hemp using high-tech alcohol extraction, not that dangerous butane stuff. They produce the highest quality full-spectrum CBD available. They control the entire process to ensure that they produce the best CBD products on the market. Now, full-spectrum, just so you understand it, if you didn't listen to that podcast, means it still contains some THC, but not enough to where it's going to affect you psychoactively. But there are healing properties to the THC, okay? There's isolates that are out there, all right? But when they isolate it like that, it removes some healing properties, some CBN, CBG, some things, again, that you should go back and listen to the podcast with Greg, with uh, Grant Jacobowski on 220. Go back and listen to that. So the reason full spectrum is more healing is because they leave the full properties in it. They don't pull those things out, all right? So isolates can certainly be helpful, but they're not near as strong medically as a full spectrum product, okay? Especially... The fact that it's organic. It's grown in organic farm land, to be specific, okay? So, I use this product too. Again, I would not sell or endorse anything I have not used. Do not recommend at all. I wouldn't be doing that at all. So, we got to try it out. It, done, it has done some wonderful things for me. I don't use it every day. Uh, but when I do, it works, whether it's a small ache or pain or something like that. And it's done wonders for psoriasis for myself as well. That runs in my family. It's a gene that's passed down, but, well, no more. So it's amazing the things that you can treat with CBD, especially a full spectrum. Just go to vermontpurecbd.com, enter the promo code RAMPAGE, and you get 10% off. Okay, that's vermontpurecbd.com, enter code word RAMPAGE for 10% off. Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you are living your Cognitive Rampage. The guest on today's podcast, he means a lot to me. Uh, Haystack joins me early on this show. He and I were talking, well, just before I did this podcast. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, uh, addiction and the war that's still going on in our communities. And frankly, uh, I realized I had maybe lost sight of the message and the reason I originally started this podcast. And after talking with Stack for a little while, 
Well, I just got inspired, and it was, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night. I ended up cutting uh, the studio on and going live. Ended up going live, and Haystack joins me for the first half an hour of this podcast. I'm talking a little bit about his, well, what he's seen uh, in the communities that he travels in. He's on tour right now. Uh, Trust me, go see him if you can. Uh, There's a link in the post here where you can find where those tour dates are. But Haystack has been influential to me for a very long time. Uh, He was, well, he is my favorite rapper, period. I'm just putting that out there. And I have played his music numerous times in my life uh, when I was struggling and whatever I was struggling with. Um, I would play his music. There's, well, too many songs to even begin to list on how many I played to pull myself out of whatever hole I was in and, well, climb back up. And I still play his music today. Matter of fact, I play Haystack's song, So What?, well, just before I go live for, for every podcast, I do that to remind me where I came from and, well, who I do this for. And, well, it, it's, I've, you know, I've been trying to get Stack on the podcast for a while. He's a busy guy, always touring, doing music. And so it was a, an honor for me to have him on, even if just for the first half an hour, he was literally about to go on stage in, in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, before he well jumped on and and you know talked uh, talked about addiction with me for a little while uh, and some other things in the first half an hour and then at the end well after he gets off the podcast he had a show to go do but after Haystack gets off the podcast let's just say I go off on a cognitive rampage about addiction and the addiction treatment system that we are currently in and that people seek and go to for help and I went off and you know years ago when I was on Joe Rogan's podcast he asked me a question when I was on his podcast. So how do we fix this thing, Adam? He asked me. And well, I didn't really like my answer too much. Keep in mind, my appearance on Joe Rogan was the first podcast I had ever done. I hadn't even done my own podcast, really. So that was the first show I'd really ever done. And it was uh, intense. It was nerve wracking for me. So uh, I, I left a lot of generalizations on the table, could have answered questions a lot better from that podcast. But geared directly toward addiction, I answer his question on this podcast. So, Joe, uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. And, well, thanks for asking that question as well. I think the question was, so how do we fix this thing, Adam? And so, well, I tell you how I believe I think we can fix this system of treatment and those that are dying in the war out there on prescription medications uh, and further. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. It was a real honor and a pleasure to have my brother, my favorite rapper of all time, on the show, Haystack. Yeah. This fall, my people, they grew up being told that they would be dead in the penitentiaries by the time they were grown. And then you wonder why they got depression and self-esteem and anxiety issues, you know. After so long, you start to believe it. I recall everything I was told. Boy, you never lived to be 18 years old. Dead or incarcerated just like those people who wander down similar Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you are living your Cognitive Rampage. Yeah, coming live to you 10 o'clock in the middle of the night because I was, uh, well, I was touched, baby. I was moved and uh, moved by, man, I came, well, my boy Haystack that moved me, um, called me up. And uh, matter of fact, say what's up, Haystack, you're on the podcast. What's happening? How you doing, brother? 
Man, I'm full of that fuel right now, man. You and I have been talking for a minute, and uh, man, whew, you reminded me there's a war going on, man. It's uh, for our brothers and sisters' spirits and lives and futures, man. And you know, I just appreciate a brother that wants to fight, and uh, you should. We we more of us should want to fight, but you know, that's what makes you special. No, I have my moments, as I like to say, man, but you certainly influenced this podcast, man. You made me sit back for a minute and realize I'd gotten soft, man, that I'd gotten soft in what I was doing and the message I was delivering, trying to fold into something that was uh, sponsorable, a little bit more marketable, if you will. And, uh, well, frankly, I appreciate the uh, the kick in the grace face. You know what I mean? Well, you know, and it's, you're very appreciated, but at the same time, you know, everybody ain't in the change of group so it's like you know what you got for them is not your brand new thing that's something for people that are living and coping with the change so you know for everybody else it's their first time listening to this podcast that's what the hype is for Mm. we don't want them clicking the next link we want them to stay right here that's learn that, how to make a difference in their community. And that's what you're doing now, man. And that's what I that's what moved me, man, is, I mean, you have walked the walk, as you said, tonight, 10,000 miles in one direction and willing to turn around and walk back another 20,000 to help save people. And you're blowing the trumpet, man. You're reaching in the communities now with what you're doing. I mean, because you've seen it. And, you know, you walk those blocks. You've seen those people that are dying, man. I mean, I said on a few other podcasts when I said, you know, people are dying, man. People are dying. Well, man, you know, you can get out here in any community. The other morning, I did a show, and we set up and having an after party back at the house and talking and stuff. I ran out of some commodities, and I said, man, we need to run to Walmart. Oh, my bad. We need sponsorship dollars. I said, we need to run to the store. So we uh, we pull up, and there's a dude nodded off right there on my way to the door asleep. I hit the door. I said, police. He jumped up. I said, not this time, but it will be next time. Bro, you got to get that together. But, I mean, it's a shame. Like, at the red light, they're stopped, sleeping. I have to pull up and blow the horn. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. And that's what people are missing, man. I think we got so caught up in just trying to bring awareness to what's happening like I did. You know, just bringing awareness to what's happening. And still, and if people don't know, there's been a spike in overdose deaths, man. I mean, 115 people die every day from opiate overdoses. But then the the little shadow figure that people don't notice, 6,000. 147 go to the ER from overdoses. Uh, 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 a day? A day. Wow. A day. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, imagine, imagine a full NFL stadium packed to the rim like the Super Bowl. That's how many people die last year from opiate, opiate overdoses. Yeah, man. And, you know, and that's enough to make anybody angry. If you're a man... Or if you're a mother or a woman, you know, who has to release kids in this community to be educated and raised. And, you know, it takes a village. It certainly does, man. And and the the part that, you know, when I came out real hard the first time doing this, you know, it's it's not the neighborhood drug dealer. I mean, it's that it's the dude in the white coat, man. And that's who's passing them out, man. I mean, it's ridiculous. If if, uh, uh, a few more stats, man, in 2014 and 15, 811,000 doctors wrote prescription for Medicare patients. That's just Medicare patients now. And then 54% of those doctors, more than 200,000 physicians, receive payment from pharmaceutical companies that make opiates. 
Yep. Where's the kickback? You know, bro, right there in that second statistic. Like <laughs> there's fifty thousand doctors got a kickback straight to them from the company. And then you wonder why they pushing it on you. That's like back in my back in my days, if I went to give a brother two peas and he had the cash, I'll throw him four. <laughs> yeah. And that's all right. And, and and we're the criminal, right? Yeah, because I'm pushing it. He's pushing that. He's pushing it. And, um, you know, man, it, it, it you know, it, I read a T-shirt. Well, actually, it was on the back of a man who had lost his daughter's truck. It said, save a, it said, save a bunch of young people. Kill one old doctor. He gave me chill bumps. I was like, wow. And, you know, the thing is, a doctor in our society is like a high priest in the Bible. What he's telling you he's going to do for you does not work. Mm. It's just a masquerade. You know, Jesus walked past 10 lepers, and I got to thank Adam. And if, if me and you would have passed them lepers, they'd have been like, Adam Lowry, come over here in Cognitive Rampage on the show. Help us out. And, you know, Christ said, they hollered for Christ, and he said, go talk to your high priest. And they said, we did. We took him fruit sacrifices, field sacrifices, our youngest daughters. He said, huh. Turned and walked away, and they began to be healed. And only one leper ran him down and praised him. Now, I don't think that's because all ten of them didn't get the spirit. I think the other nine had a high priest to talk to. Mm. And, uh... You know, them high priests, man, they ain't never been no good all throughout the Bible. They're not the truth. They're a substitute. And when you get full of that truth and that way and that light, no substitute is going to work. And and look, just like Patricia said, right, we're on the phone, right? When he come down to it, who are we praying to? Who are you talking to at that last Jesus moment? Christ. You know? It's through the blood of Christ I do all things. I mean, that's the, and the message you're out doing, man, and, and your, your grind has been one from the underground from day one. And the way that you're out there traveling, still blowing that trumpet, man, and letting those people know in the trenches, just like that, walking by, that they can flip their life around, they can turn it around, they can do that, man. This is something beautiful to be witnessing and be a part of, man. Man, man it's just good to be, you know, be my age and have the years that I got in the game to be able to come out here and be wanted and loved and received the way I am. And glory to God, man. It's just a beautiful thing. Well, I tell everybody every time I'm on the podcast, man, that, that your mu- your music, your lyrics that you write fuel me, man. I've been doing this almost uh, almost four years now on the podcast, and there were times, you know, where I go, you know what, I, I'm I'm done, man. I'm getting beat up from all sides. You know, the, the sponsorship dollars weren't coming in. It wasn't working. And, you know, I, I just would feel like going, no, nah, I can't, man. And then I'd play some of your some of your music, man. It would remind me, A, where I came from. And then about the people that I was really doing this for. I wasn't doing this for the dollars. I was doing it for those that are on bottom, that are feeling like, man, I got nothing left. I listened to the doctor, and here I am, 10 years addicted, lost everything in my life, and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I listened to a who? A doctor. And I told her I was 400 pounds, and I told her doctor that I was having some pain in my knee and hip. All I really needed was like an anti-inflammatory. Um, he snapped his fingers and was like, I've been waiting to hear that. I'm going to knock some pounds off of it. And with that, he wrote me a prescription of lower tariffs. Oh. Well, let me tell you what a long, windy elevator ride that was down where I lost my home, my family, my vehicles, my friends. But they was never friends. They was just 
on a train. They was just riding a wave. And, uh, you know, brother, the thing about it is when I got clean, I didn't even know if music was going to be my forte anymore. Still don't, it's really like a day-to-day type thing now. Because if I feel like God says go back to Middle Tennessee and wait, that's what I'm going to do. Because Psalms 46.10 says be still and know that I am God. Mm. So, you know, it just is what it is. Yeah, it might be ten forty six. I think it's forty six ten. Either way, um, man, it's still it's still preaching. And look, and let's be honest, right? Uh, a lot of intellectuals that are out there that intellectualize things, anything that comes from the Bible, the Spirit, and and I think even Patricia said that right. It's just not cool to talk about God and, and what that and what that means or is to people. But for some of those, I do want to see them at the last minutes or when when they're dying in that car wreck or something tragic like that's happening. Who they really calling on? Yeah, they're not gonna call the doctor. and uh you know and that's what it all comes down to man like i said these people are it's comatose and you know and then you got the people who aren't and their mentality is kind of like well it's not my kids it's not anything that you see the people anything you see developing in the county it'll be on your head momentarily so prepare for it and resist that's the main thing resist how do you resist your fight? Rampage. It, it has to meet rampage. And uh, when met with rampage, it's not always successful. But when met with nothing, it's always successful. Yeah, man. And, and it has to be. And, you know, the fight that you talk about is the is the fight to which I came into this game swinging, man. Like uh, you, you quoted one of your lyrics is hitting like Mike Tyson back in his early days. And I came out hard that way, man, because as a practitioner, when I was treating people in, in, in addiction facilities, I was working at the last addiction facility that uh, I always want to call him Tommy boy. Uh, why can't I remember his name? Um, uh, Chris, Chris Farley. Farley. Yeah, that Chris Farley was at before they discharged him early, sent him back to Chicago when he died that night in the hotel in Chicago, coming from the so-called, quote, one of the best rehabs there is in the facility, man. And coming out of that, there were people that I was treating, man, treating for six months, man, almost a year. I'd see them and then they would just die and they wouldn't come back, man. And friends would lose friends. And I'm watching this going, how, how can we just stand around? How, how this is all we got to offer people. And until it touches your backyard, your nephew, your cousin, your mama, your uncle, your aunt, until it touches somebody like that, it does, it's not a real thing in people's lives, man. And then but when I it promise. does, you watch them wake up. But I promise it is. And then even then, you got people that are so, Heavenly Father, forgive me, Mr. Lowry, I know this is your platform and I apologize. But to me, it's something just trifling that if you see your nieces or nephews doing something, and then you try to separate your children from them. No, your kids is already doing it. You just don't know. Mm. It's already, it's, you know, I got a thing, man. I say every time I go out of town, don't give my children nothing that you wouldn't want stuck up your ass when their daddy gets back. <laughs> and uh, I want people to be like, here, one for you, one for you, one for you. Not you, your daddy, crazy. That's right. <laughs> crazy about that little beautiful girl and that's what we're really doing it for man i mean uh, you were talking to me tonight before i went live here uh, about the communities we got to put our kids in it at this at this present time what we're walking them out into i mean I, i'm just going to speak to the, the the shitty ass these rappers that are coming out that are making 
uh, eating pills a cool thing. They're making eating pills and drinking. So they're making it this cool thing to be that way, man. And, and I mean, talk about fumbling on a platform, man. You know, what happens is I noticed a lot of my brothers that would uh, double cup and drink that stuff started, you know, having to have go pay dental bills because of what the syrup was doing to their teeth. Mm. You know, so it's a, uh, then they're, well, like, let me get, you know, a handful of perks. It's like, man, it's the, it's the same thing, bro. Like, like, it's even worse. Like, don't do that. Like, if you made the transition off of that syrup, glory to God, you've been blessed. Don't pick up no peel and put it in your mouth. But that's where I've seen a lot of people cross over. I'd see them cross over. They would come in off of heroin, meth, something like that, man. Walk into an addiction facility within 72 hours. They're on 14 other medications that are messing with them right away. Now, it's, I'm not going to sit here and be anti-medication, right? When you need some, you may need some, and then bless, bless them that that happens and helps. But when it was a transition made so fast, when they would come in on one drug and leave on 12. Right. And you know, the thing is, man, if, if I understand that, might have tried to stop taking opiates and you might you feel like you might as well try to remove your rib cage out your mouth <laughs> like yeah that doctor did that to you don't get mad and go back to the pills you're almost sick of light it hurts but and i hate to play devil's advocate you know in my opinion it, it, it's all about the, you know if you're going to use that cheat code to get back on level ground I understand that, but understand this. After about six to eight weeks with that cheat code, you're only cheating you. Mm. And uh, it don't even work like it did in the beginning. You beat it, but you're giving the glory to Suboxone when you should get a glory to Jesus Christ. Yeah, I came, out, I came out hard against some of that as a substitution for what people were doing, what they were using, and how they'd come back. And look, if it, like you said, if the cheat code gets you to stay alive, then I'm a fan of that. You know what I mean? If some assaults right. work for you, do that shit, you know, but don't stop the, with the fight right there. Right. Exactly. And you know, I think that it's just a matter of letting people know that through Christ, all things are possible. But what I'm saying is to my brothers and sisters, to you and it light in your heart, all things are possible. God don't want you to be a statistic for anything but success and good numbers. The devil is a two-headed lion come to destroy us and everything we love, Mr. Lowry. And if we take our eyes off of him, he'll win. Well, that's why I'm going to fight him with two swords. And, uh, it ain't, you know, and, it, and, it, and like I said, a little bit of herb or whatever, a drink, that, you know, that, that's, that's, uh, that's old, old days. What I'm talking about is this new stuff going on out here. But it ain't new because it's been going on since the millennium. They snuck it in on us, and we didn't notice it until the statistics were the ones you just read a while ago. Yeah, I mean, if we can imagine, I mean, what would happen, I mean, if 80,000 people died at once, right? If some, some tragic thing happens in some stadium at once, we'd all notice it. We'd all lose more freedoms. They'd have us all on lockdown, couldn't go to football games anymore. It'd all be taken care of. But when 80,000 die slowly over a year, oh, uh, well, we just listen to our doctor. You know, especially with that heroin. If you're in Florida, say Tampa, and you notice 64 overdoses in a weekend, if you'll just go type in Atlanta, you'll see the same thing. 
all your major markets in Georgia, Alabama, you'll see the same thing. Nashville, you'll see the same thing. Louisville, Columbus, Ohio, you'll see it all the way up the eastern seaboard. But like I said, with some opiates and them pills, it can all be traced back to the hands of doctors. But my brothers and sisters find themselves on the street trying to buy, say, for instance, Opana or Roxycontin at 30 bucks a pill. So then they had to make a decision. Do I, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. I, I'm in a messed up place. So do I, I, do I buy the pill or do I just say forget it and go down to this substance at 20 bucks a pack? <laughs> Funny how that works. No, it's not. It's a damn shame. And uh, they got it where that nod high would be commercial. And then they reintroduced it to the market for the first time since the sixties. Tell them. You know, I just, you know, I just think that any time that you get stuck with a left, be looking for the right because it's coming. Mm. And uh, if you if you feel a little sting, just know that it, you better duck because it's a big one right after that. It's always alley oop with them. They always set up one thing and then go in. But these are the same people that don't you know don't believe mk ultra is a real thing man control the chief through music and uh you know and it have, have have been taken advantage of by every president from reagan and uh you know a lot of people especially in this country right now man politics has got people divided but check this out if you wasn't real political before trump don't get that way now. Like, <laughs> I ain't never been real political and ain't no president ever told me I could or could not go out here and make a living. They decide that. And as long as they want me, I'll be here. Well, I I, I need you out there. And I know there's millions of people out there that need you playing that trumpet that you're playing, man, and telling the story that you're telling and, and the real of it, man. Because, you know, for a lot of people their image of somebody that's addicted or uh, a quote addict is this run down kind of jug looking person, you know, that'll never be them. It'll never be their family member. And seven out of 10 people, man, this is from the dome, seven out of 10 people that are in a rehab are you talking your blue collar workers and your upper middle class workers, basically the working tax paying part of this country. And then they go in for a sprained ankle, a bad hip. And next thing you know, they're divorced. They've lost everything. They lost their job. And that's those are the people that it's affecting directly. It's not these so-called quotes jugs that people imagine that are or, or crackheads or things like that, that a lot of people imagine somebody battling addiction is. It's the you and me's, man. Right. And, you know, when I got when I got sober off opiates, my. Um, I was uh, I, I had offered uh, my then. Uh, girl, my new girlfriend, something, and she said, I can't play with that, baby. I'm an addict. And I looked at her little sexy self, and I was like, no, you're not. That's those people downtown by the dumpsters. Like, that's not, yeah, man, you can be an addict with some $300 shoes on. Mm. Yes, you. Anybody, like, yes, that's you. And uh, that's part of getting mad. That's part of the fight. It is, man. And, you know, after talking to you tonight, I realized I look back on some of my recent podcasts and I'm like, 
man, I went soft. You know, I, I backed down trying to play a, a nicer angle because it didn't, you know, reach everybody and kind of played this different angle, man. And, and until you realize, like you remind me, there is a still still a war going on just because we're aware that it's happening. Well, that's good that we're all aware that it's happening. 30,000 more people died this year than last year. Right. And like 30,000. That averages out to a little bit more than 500 a week. God. And uh, that, I mean, I'm smart enough to know 52 weeks in a year at 500 apiece. That's yeah, that's that's a striking number, man. Well, the city you're sitting in, Alabama, uh, they wrote two times more prescriptions than there are people in the state of Alabama. Wow, and, and was getting away with it until brothers like you and me started calling them on it. And now they want to pull back and say, well, the DEA made it where you couldn't give a, a benzo and a pain pill. Yeah, six months ago. Mm. Like when they knew what it would do, when it's, it's called a cocktail, then you add a muscle relaxer to it and they blatantly call it a suicide cocktail. If you put a benzo, an opiate and a muscle relaxer in your mouth, you have taken a suicide cocktail. That's what the DEA labeled it. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, and and you got people out here still writing all three scripts. Oh, and, all uh, three, all three. They'll be back at the hospital that they just got the scripts from last week. And, and then a doctor will be like, uh, "Go to an independent pharmacy." <laughs> oh no, I'm going to Walgreens, and we finna keep a record on your Zara's. That's it, man. Because even if I am a slave, I want to see him get busted. But I want to tell you this, man, before I leave to go to this show and I say my prayer, the doctor that, uh, my doctor, you know, I, I got to see him on like a, kind of like a VIP type thing. And, uh, I watched his son grow up from 11 to 18. And now he's a heroin addict who's struggling and I pray for him and I hope that little man lives, but you know, being a country boy, I can't expect my chickens to come to anybody's house but mine. They'll be home to roots. And these doctors' chickens is going to come home. Mm. Whether they, But I'd like to be the one to drive them back over there. Mm. Get up out of my yard. Get on over to him. And, uh, you know, when people start drawing signs and saying, meet me at 105 Medical Plaza and protesting, They'll get scared. You know, I, I like to put it in a lot of these doctors' ears. They might have a vigilante between the office and the house. <laughs> have a good trip. <laughs> have a good ride, brother. Be careful. Man, I got to get out of here, man, and uh, get to work. But uh, I sure do appreciate your support, Adam, and the support that I received from Cognitive Rampage. And uh, you spreading the word and fighting, man. Well, I appreciate the music, the motivation, my whole life, man. I've been listening to you since I was, shit, 18 years old, man. Oh, now I feel super old. Yeah, it don't matter, man. But that music has fueled me. I tell everybody before every show, I even put it on the back end of some of these podcasts, man. I play So What before I go live. My lyrics and relevant before I go live every time. So the fuel has been both ways, brother. Well, man, I'm glad that I could serve that in your life and, and give you that that soundtrack. Oh, man, it has been a soundtrack to my life, man. And how many people that, that I know you're touching and changing, and the more you tell your story, 
you know, I mean, you said it when I said it to you, you know, when I told you I was being affected by depression and anxiety, and my thought to me was, what, not me, not Mr. Mental Health? And you said, yeah, you, baby. Yeah, you. Well, you know, the thing is that when you say that, I don't feel so broken, mm. you know? And to hear you say it, it makes me feel okay about having some mental health issues and knowing that I can get back tight. And, uh, you know, we all get a little confused or lost in this matrix. You're supposed to. It's not for you, us. We're not supposed to be a mouse in a maze. But, you know, give them a minute and they'll turn it into that. And, uh, you know, I just want to be remembered, man. It's uh, You ever seen that movie with Mel Gibson, Science? Yeah, yeah. I want to be the one to figure out water kills them. As I'm staring at a glass of water right in front of me. And drive them out of our communities. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever works, do that. And, you know, it's like I tell people. I got guys six foot six, 350 pounds walking up to me at the show saying, Stack, how do I go home and make a difference? I say, man, you see that big old foot you got? You draw a big old line between you and your family and community and any outside threat. And I, like I said, I'm not trying to create a bunch of vigilantes with a bloodthirst. Pray about it. And God will put it on your spirit. I think that's what we need to do, man, is get back there and get back to saving our own communities and, and pulling ourselves out of it one person at a time, man. And, and your music is the soundtrack to that, my friend. And the more you play that trumpet, man, I mean, I, you, you touch millions in your entire career, the, the, the longest running white boy really rapping in my life. And as many people as I know you've touched, you've moved and motivated. People can read the comments and see it, man. You're still out there doing it, man. With every word you're saying, man, you can do that. Please keep telling your story because when, when Haystack tells people I've been there and I've got out of there, that makes so many more go, man, if he can be affected, I can be affected. If he can come back, then I can come back too. If I did it, you got it. Just stay focused. And you know, like I said, man, use that anger for fuel. You're needed conserve it don't you know don't get me you know don't get made too mad at one time just channel it and you know when when you feel exhausted lay down baby it's nothing wrong with being tired and when i say you i'm talking to the listen but you know people they want to fight the whole fight man you kind of gotta line it up you know it's two days and it's new days when was the last time you did that mm. and now you got three days and now you got a month uh-oh he's gonna be mad <laughs> he's gonna be real pissed in a month and that's where i need him and uh yeah man my instagram is h-a-y-s-t-a-k if you if you need prayer or maybe a word of encouragement hit me up i'm not above making a phone call man yeah everybody go there man looking up follow him there facebook everywhere else download all the music man i mean if you if you're struggling through it my first day has been something that's been influential to me and i know it's saved millions too listen to my first day man if you've been there sometimes he just writes what you what, what you've been through what you've seen not necessarily what you've been through yeah yeah man man i sure appreciate you adam and i appreciate this you let me use your platform for a second yeah man maybe we save one right in here tonight glory to god yeah i know you will man i know you'll touch somebody tonight man and make it work for them, man and, and bring them back to life with uh with that trumpet you're playing man i appreciate you just popping on you know this podcast is your platform anytime you need it brother and i sure do appreciate it brother god bless you and your family and holler at me in a little bit all right man we go, go kill that show man bless them up I I'll tell Mobile you sent your love. Woo, do it for me. All right, brother, 100. One.
Dang, y'all. Now, that was impromptu, man. We didn't mean to set that up, but that's Haystack, man. Um, I've been, <laughs> if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you would know I've been trying to get Haystack on the show for a long time. His music has been very, very influential in my life. Um, well, some of the albums I played while I was writing this bad boy over and over. And I can tell you there were times, man, when I felt like quitting, I felt like giving up. You know, the podcast didn't make any money for years. And I would sit there going, man, I can't keep doing this, man. And and I stayed with it, you know, and I told people a lot. I lost a lot trying to do this, man. I, I mean, I lost my marriage doing this and refusing to quit this and stick with it because people were dying. And I felt like it was something I needed to say. And I felt like because of my training, um, because of my degrees, if you will, I could get a voice and I could be heard. But then from my own experience in life and the people that have been in my life, I felt like, man, I can deliver a different message Hence naming the cognitive rampage what it is, man, and saying it like it is. And I and I got a lot of a lot of hate and feedback coming back, you know, when I was saying what I was saying on Rogan uh, and a couple of other fucking podcasts that I did, man. But I mean, I, I've been trying to get stacked on the show for a while and, and it seemed like a spiritual connection, man, is for years trying to get him on. But he's, you know, moving around a lot. And we touched base a couple months ago. Uh, we talk damn near every day now, man. And talking to somebody, you know, like that moved me tonight, you know, as he reminded me there's a war going on, that 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 two-headed lion that's out there that we're really fighting for, man. And I pulled up the statistics tonight to look and see that spike when 30,000 more people died in 2018 and 2017. Yeah, we're all aware of this shit, but nothing's changing. Shit's actually getting worse. And the more I want to be anti-whatever, the more I, I get back from the other side of saying, yeah, well, you know, uh, and we, we want to intellectualize the situation and talk about, hey, well, the more we talk about this, it's harder for people that need opiates to get opiates, et cetera, and intellectualize all this. And meanwhile, people are losing their brothers and their sisters and, and their kids and their moms and their dads, man, to this stuff. And, and it's sad and it's trapped. And it's tragic. It's it's not the crackhead meth head ideas that you have in your head. That's not who I was treating. I was treating family, men and women. I was treating sons and daughters, you know, that had had kids themselves, that had families together, man, that were reaching out for help. And in this greatest country in the world, all we could offer them was what we were offering them. I'm a fan of whatever works for you. All right. If 12 steps work for you, do that. If somersaults do that, I don't care. But there was so much more we could be offering them. But the system had been jacked and rigged. It had been jacked and rigged to pull out as much money from people's insurance and people's uh, savings accounts from their parents as if 30 days and 60 days meant something. There's so much more amazing science that's out there to help people. You know, I was asked when I was on Rogan, so what do we do about this? Adam, Joe said, he said, what do we do about this? And, and I responded, now mind you people, when I was on Joe Rogan, that was the very first podcast I'd ever, ever done. I'd never done a podcast ever in my life. I walk in halfway through an episode and realize we're live. And I sit down for the first time in my life on Joe Rogan's podcast. I was scared to death. I was shaking. I was like, man, I don't know what to say. Just divulged everything. Just said it like it was. Generalized some things. Now, mind you, I got fired from both of my therapist positions before I left L.A. That's what I was sacrificing. My whole career took $100,000 in student loans to get that degree, only to lose that job, both of those jobs, after a long time for saying what I was saying, which was nothing but the truth. You know, and so when he asked me, what do we do about this thing? I still have some remorse because the first thing I said is we, we decriminalize everything, right? You don't lock somebody up in jail because they're going through a problem and we stop treating the fucking symptom. That drugs are just the symptom. Drugs are the symptom of something deeper of what's going on in that individual's lives and on a larger level, what's going on in the community, in their environment, in that life, right? So if you back that all the way up, what is really wrong when so many people are trying to numb out their life or become chemically addicted by 
something, the, the healer, something the healer gave to them, right? I mean, I, I wish I could mention another gentleman, but uh, he, he's quite the business guy and how it happened to him. See, no education there. And even with the forewarning, there are other ways to approach it was my point. And so how do we fix this thing? Look, the recidivism rate that comes back is near 90% from rehabs, 90%. 90%. That means that you, that means you got a 90% failure rate. That's how many times that they're going to come back and re- return to these rehabs that we're paying tons of money for, right? $1,500 a day per patient is what these rehabs make pulling from the Medicare people on insurance. Private insurance covers the same thing because this hospital had two parts. It had Medicare people that we treated that had Medicare. Then we have private insurance on the other side. And let me tell you, the private insurance side, that wing was worse. That wing was even worse. The treatment was terrible. It was awful. There was barely any treatment, if you would. And why do they use the group modality? See, I said modality on Joe Rogan's podcast. That Joe looks at me, he's like, modality. That's a funny word. I wish I could use it. But the group treatment tool to use, why do we use that, right? Is it because it's better? No, it's because it's cheaper. I can treat 12 people at once and charge them all the same fucking thing, like I'm, like I'm working with them individually. So if you look at the recidivism rate of almost 90%, in reality, you got a 2% recovery rate from something like 12 steps. But bless it, because if those 2% healed and got better, then my God, we should offer the 12 steps, damn it. We should continue with that. My argument is about offering everything that's out there, everything from, from psilocybin on down to how we treat people. But if we continue to treat the symptoms of addiction, the drugs themselves, the drugs themselves are a symptom of the society or the individual's trauma in their life, right? So the idea is to treat that, to treat to the root, right? But there's no money to be made off that, and it costs a lot of money. But in the long run, people are dying. Here's the trade-off. You keep with the same treatment programs that we have. It doesn't matter if you got private insurance or if you linked up the government insurance. You're getting the same fucking treatment, okay? Same treatment. So don't think about people on Medicare. That's the treatment they deserve. They should be able to afford private insurance. Because let me tell you, the insurance game is a wreck, and that's rigged too. All right, your, your insurance a month is the same cost as your mortgage, and that's ridiculous. And most of the time, you can only get insurance through your employer, right? Even though the entrepreneurs that start their own company are the backbone of this economy, but forget them, right? They got to pay $1,500 a month to be self-insured. So no matter whether you're self-insured or you're insured through government insurance, you're getting the same treatment. Even if you're in the VA, you're getting the same treatment, whether it's 12 steps is the first front. 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, you better heal yourself. And then we put them right back in the same environment they came from with different symptoms, different medications, expecting they can change. And if they don't change and they come back, which is what they want, because it's more money from insurance companies or out of your pocket or your family savings account of that inheritance you were saving up to put your kid through college, they're still getting the same money. So if we take that and we look at the long run and long-term treatment, we go into that person's lives. We go into their lives. You send the treatment to them. You go into their environment, into their home, into their community. You help place them in jobs, in job training. You send nutritionists to them. You're going to them. You're trying to save a life, people, right? And yes, there are some personal choices that someone that's dealing with addiction makes. Yes, there are. No doubt that there are personal choices that make it, but no, we call it a disease and we tell them you have a disease, so just stay in the system because you can't break the disease. If that's so, then tell me how the people that get off addiction do it. Then they broke the disease, right? They beat that disease on their own, right? Now, if medications work for you, then great. You're a very small variable hanging on the outside of this spectrum here that I'm still happy for you. But I'm talking about that 90%, that 90% that keep coming back 
day after day after 90 days because there's no magic in 30, 60, 90 day treatment. Well, he got 90 days. That's set by insurance, okay? That's set by insurance. There is no magic in that treatment whatsoever. And then what do they tell the family members? Don't enable them. Don't help them. Don't feed them any money. Don't take them out, right? I get it. If you're on that end and you're getting manipulated from people you love, right? It sounds good when somebody tells you it's okay to cut them off. But what do you need is social support. We know we need social, social support to treat people, but yet what do we do? Do we treat the environment? Do we treat the society? Do we treat the community? We do not. We treat the person as long as we can, as long as their insurance is paying for the days that insurance sets it. When they come back, if they keep coming back, they're just losers and kick them off the curb. Don't enable them and go ahead and remove their social support from them and wonder why they keep relapsing and wind up one of those statistics of that 70,000 that die a year. And wonder why. So how do we go back to it? You send the treatment to them. Yes, it will be expensive, as people will say. It's who's going to pay for that? I don't know. Maybe the 17-year war we've been in could have paid for some of that. I can pick a million reasons of how we can cover that cost, but it pays for itself. It pays for itself that when you treat somebody, say you treat them for a year. You're sending practitioners to their home. You're doing job placement, job training, re-education, biological reformation, right? You're using neuroscience, using anything you can as you make that treatment because the brain heals. The brain has neuroplasticity. So to say that somebody has a disease and don't explain it to them, they take it as if, oh, I have an autoimmune type disease. Oh yeah, it's genetic. It's linked to your family. Well, explain to me the one that has the genetics of alcoholism and addiction that actually makes it, right? Oh, just an outside line variable again. Is that where we're at again? You see, it works when it suits their treatment processes to pull those facts out of their ass. But it doesn't work when we point that shit out. And nobody, we, and, and it's not changing. So you go into the home. You go, you send those resources into the home and you save a life. You save a life by doing it that way, and guess who's not returning for the next five years to rehab, paying those addiction facilities, a.k.a. rehab. Guess who's not paying them? If you got somebody that's in and out of rehab for three years, five years, ten years, until they finally fucking die and take one of those suicide cocktails Stack was talking about, what'd that cost? That cost a mama to lose her baby. That cost a husband to lose his wife. What's the cost of that? What is the price tag? For those that tell me, what is that cost? I ask you, what is the price of the loved one in your life? What is that worth to you? Everything? And some people have dumped everything they have into saving the person they love into the treatments process that we have available for them currently. Some have done that and still have found them in a hospital identifying the body. But yet nothing changes. More prescriptions written. Fentanyl now is killing more and more people. 20,000 people from fentanyl in 2018. They just make a new drug and call it something else while they're racking up billions and trillions of dollars. And the fat cats that own these rehabs are doing the same thing. And when I said on, on Rogan, when I said it wasn't passages of Malibu and places like that, it fucking is. It's the private systems, too, that are treating the same fucking way. That's, this is the process. This is how you make money. As Rogan called it, there's a major money grab going on when he was on the show. And he's right. He heard it. He's smart. And when I talked to him that night at the improv, he saw it and he goes, wow, there's a major money grab going on. And you can see it. I was in it. I was treating those people in it. So when you ask and you tell me how much is that really going to cost and who's going to pay for it, it's going to be less money and we're going to save more lives. 
can you put money in on that? Because when it touches your life, if it's you that is affected, if it's somebody in your family, God forbid, I hope it never is. But at these rates, most people know somebody or have lost somebody due to opiates, fentanyl, or some sort of prescription overdose medication, including heroin, the same thing. But when the treatment process is redesigned not to make money or make a client for life, when it is redesigned to actually offer help to people, over time, you're saving money and you're saving lives more importantly. But until we get a, a handle on what's happening, until we get a handle on pharmaceutical companies that are making the money doing this, the insurance companies that are paying out for this but getting the premiums that are paid for it, until that changes, this epidemic will continue. It's a plague. It is not an epidemic anymore, people. This has turned to a fucking plague. When 80,000 people, the capacity of an NFL stadium dies in 365 days, we don't have an epidemic. We got a national crisis. We got a motherfucking national emergency. And nobody seems to wake up until it's your sister, until it's your mother. Now, we've got awareness of it now, so if it's on you, it's on you. We are trusting our doctors, and there are some good doctors out there. Hand to God, there are some good doctors out there that save lives. Don't get me twisted. I'm not trying to pack every single doctor into this fucking, into this rampage right here, okay? If you're a good one out there doing it that way, then bless you. You know, start slapping the other doctors. Why don't you call the other doctors out? You know, we, we get mad at these cops that are using excessive violence on people in certain communities, and then we yell at those cops, why don't you step up and slap those other cops and hold them down and tell them to stop doing what they're doing? Okay, well, then I, then I call physicians out to do the same thing. Why don't you physicians call out the other physicians that are doing it that you know about? Why don't you put them on front street? Why don't you put them out? You see, therapists can't do it because bless their heart, them therapists take on $100,000 in student loans, go through all kinds of school and shit, licensure, all kinds of stuff to support their family, to get into something to help people. And they get into this system going, dang, I got a degree, I got a job, I can't say anything, I have to operate within the system or you get blackballed. And let me tell you, I am one of them that got blackballed. That's why I wrote this book. I got blackballed and I went, okay, you fire me from both those jobs. Not two hours after I got for Rogan's podcast, I'm going to come harder then. You don't know who you don't know who you're messing with right now. I'm going to come harder. And now I got a degree. I got some experience. I can speak and maybe somebody will pay attention to what's really going on right here. Because I put my job up on the sacrifice pole. I put my marriage on the sacrifice pole. I had to let that go because people were dying and, well, she just couldn't understand why I was doing what I was doing. It wasn't making any money at the time. Well, I had to do what I was doing because people are still dying. And that's why I'm doing this podcast right now. Stack Talk Life back into me. Breathe that spirit back into me to come talk about this tonight. And whether that bothers sponsors or anybody else or whether I fit into the funnels or the algorithms of Facebook or any other platform that's supposed to share and help my message, or if I ruffle your motherfucking feathers, well, then good then maybe that cognitive rampage is worth something. If it helps one person, then it was fucking worth it, okay? If it helps one person, then it was fucking worth it. But back to this treatment system, right? Because a lot of people are going to turn me off because I'm over here using curse words, offending you and what I'm talking about. But if it was your son dying 
Would you be cursing like me? Because there were people I got to know while I was treating them. People I got to know that I believed in could make it, would almost make it. Then they'd go back to that environment that they had create, created, the people and communities they were around, go back to that doctor that would give them that prescription right back again. And if not that doctor, they'd find another one, which is definitely a part of personal choice. Don't get me twisted. There is self-responsibility and addiction at the same time. I'm not sitting up here trying to blame the system the whole time. It's getting hot in here. Woo, got to come up out of the jacket right now. So I'm not, taking, I'm not taking out personal responsibility and trying to get yourself healthy. You got to take some personal responsibility in getting yourself healthy and getting off addiction. You have to. You have to step up and do it and not just rely on the system to be what changes your life. It's not just the system's fault here. I don't want to get that twisted. You have to step up and make different choices, right? But us, as the greatest country right now currently that exists on this planet, with the technology, the money, and the love that echoes into this country that we can offer and the help we can offer people here, it is minuscule and it is fucking weak. It is weak, and if we cannot step back and see how this system is unwilling to change, even given the awareness that is out there for the system, the prescriptions, the, pharma, the, the, the pharmacies, and the, uh, I can't even talk right now, man, for all of these drug companies that are making trillions of dollars off this, if you see the system... But until it affects your life, we don't want to do anything about it. We have to do something about it. It is a fight. We are fighting for lives of people we don't know and for those that we've already lost in our lives that are laying in their grave today. 80,000 people last year. 80,000 people died in 2018, and it's on the rise, a huge spike from 2016 to 2018. When you add fentanyl in there, another 30,000 people ODing. 6,000 people a day go to the hospital on overdoses, 115 die, so they bring them back to life. So I'll give you that, doctors. You bring them back to life, but what, how'd they get the drugs in the first place? And sure, they're making choices. I am not I am not retracting that thing. Don't forget I said that there is personal choice in trying to get over addiction as well, but I felt, I felt that they had come to us for help and all we could offer them was 12 steps and 12 more pills to take. But if we go into their environments, right, I'm back on how do we fix this thing, you asked me, Joe Rogan. How do we fix this thing, man? You forget this rehab. Now, cleansing rehabs are a necessary thing because people can die when they're getting off of these medications. You quit them cold turkey, especially alcohol is the most deadly drug to get off of cold turkey. It will kill you in your sleep through a seizure. You need medical supervision when you are getting off of these things. And so when you got detox rehabs, these are a wonderful thing that people can go to, remove themselves from the toxic environment from their from that, that point, pull them out of it, safely detox them around medical supervision to a point. The problem is when that medical supervision then substitutes that alcohol with pharmaceuticals based on some theoretical mental health fucking diagnosis. That's my other problem that I'm going to get on off in a rant if I'm not careful. Mm. Lord help me. Because when the medical diagnosis starts to come to you, people believe this is gospel. The man in the white coat told me I have depression, so I am a depressed person. No, you are being affected by something we call depression that we had to label depression so we could study that. Stress was created the same way. But see, people take these diagnoses as being, well, gospel. They said it. See, you got a broken arm. I x-ray that arm. I can show you a broken arm. You show me a test that shows me depression other than patient self-report, other than somebody telling you, yes, doctor, I've been sad. 
Well, I've been I've been with you for seven minutes now as a practicing physician. So here is some medication that may alter your entire brain chemical makeup. It may make you want to kill yourself. But here, try these free samples right now and come back and see me if you haven't killed yourself. Yes, antidepressants work for people. I'm not knocking that either. It works. You at least got to be educated on what you're doing. And when it becomes the first step, there are so many ways to take it. This book is a step that you can do it, man. It's fusing, it's fusing all of the sciences that are out there, environmental, biological, the cognitive, behavioral. When you make steps to change all the facets that make up our behavior, our choices, who we are as a person, when we have changed those from nutrition to sleep, to our environments, the people we interact with, our thoughts that we create, beliefs, when we can affect all those changes, if you've gone that far and still no avail, then maybe you lean to an antidepressant. One in four work for you and it won't work for life. Do they tell you that when a doctor hands you an antidepressant? No, because we live in a magic pill society. I got pain, give me a pill, make it go away. I gotta go back to work. It's the easy way to do it. I get it. And don't, look, I'm playing both sides here. I get it. It has helped people. Yes, antidepressants, opiates even help people that are in pain. Some people, well, you can't do certain things about pain, right? You can't do certain surgeries and certain things, right? But there are ways to do it. I get that that happens and those scientific things are necessary. But when they're overprescribed, when the state of Alabama writes double the, the, double the prescriptions than people that actually live in the state, come on now. Come on. We're not paying it. Yeah, we're, we're aware, Adam. We're aware. All right, well, 80,000 people, 30,000 more died this year. How much and how good is that fucking awareness doing? I'm glad we're all aware. I fucking hate Mental Health Awareness Month. I'm well aware depression exists. I'm well aware anxiety exists. What do we do about it other than hand me some fucking pill? What else can we do? We have to affect change within the system. And those need to be held accountable and take responsibility for the overriding of prescription pain medications. And those that are taking those prescription pain medications, ODing on those things also, they're held responsible with their life, people. They're held responsible with their life. So for you, before you stand at a pulpit and yell down at somebody that you think just needs to change, well, make a different choice, well, perhaps you may want to be there. Because it begins with what they classify as a disease, right? And quotes as a disease because when you take a chemical for a while, your brain adjusts to that chemical and it becomes addicted to that chemical, thus your biology operates on that chemical, hence the reason cutting alcohol can kill you. Benzodiazepines can kill you as you get off of those. They can do it. Opiates are the same way. As you get off of those, it feels like you're dying. You can die in, a, in, in some instances for sure. And as that happens, that is because the chemical makeup of your brain and body is changing, and it got used to that medication that was put in there. So what do they do? They call it a disease. Follow this now. Follow this one, all right? See how this works out in a marketing campaign for everybody, all right? If I'm sitting there and I go, I got somebody that's coming to addiction, right? How do I keep a client for life? If I can convince them that they have a disease and they are, quotes, an addict, as you need to admit yourself to be in the treatment program, if you admit yourself to be that, that you are an addict, that that is just who you define yourself to be, that you have a disease that's genetically linked to your family history, I have now convinced you in your beliefs that this is who you will be for the rest of your life, and this is what you have to do. This is what you will fight for the rest of your life. I have already cut you at the knees. I have already cut you at the knees. If I tell you you are being affected by addiction, your brain chemistry has been misconstrued by the pills that you are taking, but your brain has plasticity and can heal and change itself with time and treatment. 
This does not have to be you forever. Which fight are you willing to keep fighting in? You see how that works? If I got a facility and I need clients to keep coming in here to keep paying me from their Medicare insurance or their private insurance, because you both get treated at the same place. If I convince you, you got a disease, well, I've already won. If I've already convinced you that you have a disease, I've already won. There's nothing left to do except continue to treat you with a 90% recidivism rate, 90%. Would you jump out of an airplane and go skydiving if there was a 90% chance your chute wasn't going to open? That's what it's like going to rehab, people. And then they tell the families when rehab doesn't work for them, stop enabling them and cut the love and the social support right out from under them and just kick them out and save yourself. Shit, man. What's somebody to do? Yes, there's personal responsibility. But in that moment of detox, that moment of change, Yes, you may get them off that medication. Yes, you may get them off that dope. But then when you return them to the same environment, the same community that they came from, what happens? Relapse. See, I'm starting to point out a bigger problem that exists in our communities, in our economy, in our country. Drugs, overdose, addiction, these are symptoms of a mentally ill culture a mentally ill country in society. And addiction is a symptom of that. And it's on the rise. And a huge spike in the last two years, people. And has the system changed? Nope. We're more aware of that shit. More doctors going to jail, but more doctors writing prescriptions the same way. Now they're just writing different ones. Because I'm telling you, how do we fix this, Joe Rogan, you ask me? Stop wasting the money on a lifetime of rehab treatments for people knowing that the system doesn't fucking work. It works for 2% of people. 2% of people to go to rehab will get healthy, and God bless that, that treatment for being there. I'm glad there is something, because if there's nothing, then I guess they all die. So those 2% that make it, then blessings keep that there, but we have to change this system. We have to change the system, 90% of people, man. And when that system becomes changed within the community, changed within that person's daily life, re-educate, not prison, when they did deinstitutionalization in the 80s because of the, the Reagan administration, they took all the mentally ill people, they kicked them out of all the asylums. Now, mind you, these asylums were shitholes, right? They needed to be revamped for sure. But rather than revamp them or spend any money doing it, they just kicked all of those people out of there with mental illness, put them on the street. They wind up on drugs and they fill up our prisons. We build more prisons in this world than any other country, any other country, more prisons and more prisons per capita than any other country. We got like a third of the people that China does. Because that makes them money too. And you know how many people that have gone through addiction, dealing with mental illness, wind up in a prison for some petty crime like possession of marijuana? Two, three times, wind up doing four years, five years. And now you got that felony charge. Good luck. We all know the road from there. When those people needed help. You see? But all we do, we focus on the drug. We focus on the drug. It's the drug that's doing it. But see, that's easy to point out because we want to blame something. I'm doing it here, blaming the doctors and the drugs, right? I'm using that to walk people down to look at the system, the communities as a whole, at the economy as a whole, the self-preservation to which each and every one of us in this country are leaning more and more to do and is to preserve ourselves. And then all of a sudden, that little addiction thing creeps up and snatches somebody out of our family like nothing. I'm not even going to go on about cancer. But yet, we call them addicts. 
we tell them they just need to make another choice. We got surgeries that can give people new extremities. We can put on actual new legs. We got amazing surgeries that do crazy things. Mechanically, our medical system is amazing. But when we talk medically, man, it's a lot of guessing. And when you talk mental health, it's even more guessing. People take that diagnosis like it's a broken arm. Oh, I have depression. Doctor told me. I spent seven minutes with a dude in a white coat, answered a survey, answered six of his questions. He gave me a pill, made me want to kill myself. And I get it. I know why you do it. You do it because you want change so badly that you risk something like that. And for those that has helped, God bless them. I'm glad it worked for you. But this system of 90% of people that go into rehabs that come back, those 80,000 that died last, those 80, 80, that died last year, were they just terrible people? Just couldn't get it right. What about Chris Cornell? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about those that were feeling addiction that had it all? They had more money than you and I will ever see in our lifetime. What about those that made it all and they still decide to check out? Hmm? So it's not about success, huh? Just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps because the addict that you have in your mind that jug on the corner down by the dumpster is what you got in your mind, but it's not. Like, hey, like Haystack said, it's the dude wearing $300 shoes. It's the stay-at-home mother. It's the business owner. Nobody is immune to this. This is a plague, my friends. This is a plague. Fuck the epidemic. This is a plague wiping people out like malaria. Ah, it won't happen to me till it does. And still nothing has changed. More people are aware now about the opiate so-called epidemic, but more people died last year than the year before. How does that happen? How does that happen? When you know more awareness has happened, more awareness has, has come out there. We know it exists, but yet 30,000 people more last year. Explain that to me. With more awareness supposed to come change, right? Nope, because we process them through the same system. We give them theoretical diagnosis because, look, a, a, a rehab cannot accept you into their rehab by insurance until you have a mental health diagnosis to give you, all right? So you walk into a rehab looking for help. They sit with you. They fill out your paperwork. You're supposed to sit with an actual physician, but you do not. You end up sitting with somebody that has a, a two-year degree or something like that that's willing to take that shit pay in the front, which they do make commissions, and then interview you as you self-report a possible diagnosis you Googled or maybe had got, gotten five years ago. Put that diagnosis on your paperwork, leave you in the check-in room, walk in the back to verify your insurance. If you got days, Cling. you're in there walk you right into addiction now have admitted you with a diagnosis ranging anywhere from schizoaffective to bipolar to depression and guess what we got treatment for that i mean pills we hand you they hand you the pills within 72 hours because by law you're supposed to see a psychiatrist in 72 hours you see that psychiatrist he sets you up on a medication sets you up on that plan Get you on the medications to treat your mental health diagnosis by quotes. But in case you don't know, you cannot diagnose somebody with a mental health disorder of any kind until they are at baseline for the substances that are in their brain and body. And that's done all the time because you can't be accepted to that rehab 
unless you got a diagnosis. An addiction is not one substance abuse disorder. Okay. But that doesn't work with comorbid. They walk you in a dual diagnosis facility. You got two of them. So I'm treating you for the mental health. And then you tell me about your drug of choice. And as you do that, well, we got, we got tricks for that. See, I interviewed on my podcast, one of the very first podcasts. You have to go back like podcast two, way back. You have to even probably pull it up on YouTube. Dr. Lewis Brodsky. I interviewed him. Lord bless his soul. He's gone now. But Dr. Lewis Brodsky was the foremost leading specialist in the bipolar disorder treatment. And boy, did he release or release some bombs on the podcast about what that really means and how people treat it. See, they have things called silver bullets where they go, well, we mix this drug with this drug and we believe we get the best reaction to treat bipolar with these two drugs, even though that drug wasn't made for treating anything close to it, but it seems to work for it. So they throw you on a little cocktail mix of a silver, silver bullet of what that psychiatrist believes works for you to treat the mental health diagnosis. God knows that's what's going to do for your already fucked up neuro system that's just firing off by all cylinders because you don't have your drugs anymore. And then we also got to treat the drug that you're on. So we're going to throw you something for a little bit of this and tell me how that makes you feel. Now, mind you, we only got 60 days. You may have been on this drug for a year, two years, but we got 60 days to do an evaluation, give you some pills we hope work, and then get report back to observe you on how those pills work in an environment that is not realistic. The rehab environment is not realistic. I'm all for a detox facility because it's safe and you got to be, but then the rehab environment is not realistic. It's not real life. You see a nutritionist, you, you got bed, you got, uh, you got a bed to lay in that's easy and, and paid for. You got art classes. You, you got all these wonderful things at these facilities. And I'm glad that they're there for people. But when you are treating somebody in an observation in a secluded laboratory, if you will, environment, making your observations based on if the medications are working or not, it's not real life. It's not the real environment. You have to observe the, sub, observe the subject within their realistic environment to really have a feedback on your observations on what that's doing and working. But we can't do that, right? Cost too much money. But when you see that same patient, Eight times a year for five to 10 years, what's that cost? When possibly you could have treated them for a year within their house, within the environment, finding work placement, doing all those things at home, what's the long-term cost? See, for those of you going, how much is this going to cost, Mr. Lowry? This is what I'm telling you, Mr. Rogan. This is how we do it, is you treat them at home for a year with all of the resources that they're going to see anyway, from occupational therapists to environmental therapists to social therapists, trauma therapists, EMDR practitioners, cognitive behavioral therapists, 12-steppers if they uh, adhere to that treatment modality. And then you treat them on this full-on level for a year until you find placement, till you change the environment. Don't convince them that they have some sort of genetic pass-down disease that they'll never fucking break with is bullshit because there's people that have been sober for 40 something years I, I mean cancer's cancer homie if you got it you got it right i mean it goes in remission sure but if it's some genetic genetic disease how you got 40 years sober and got your life back right you use the facts for when it suits the treatment that makes them the money i said it on rogan man Dope boys done moved off the corner, put on white coats, and moved into psychiatric facilities, and that's where they're hiding at. It used to be pain or pill mills, as you heard about them. The Cotton uh, OxyContin Express documentary did a number on that shit, and they were closing them motherfuckers down left and right in Florida, thank God, shutting them down. Where'd they go? Moves right into psychiatric facilities. Many of these psychiatric facilities, they have the pharmacy right there inside, and they own that too. Come on, man. 
rigged up. And to think it can't touch you, I'm telling you, seven out of 10, seven out of 10 people in my treatment room were people just like me and you. People just like me and you that went in because of a twisted ankle that went in from some surgery or some hip replacement thing. And next thing you know, bam, and it takes over your whole life and engulfs you. And all we got for you is 12 steps. You got a disease and go to these meetings. I need you to change people, places and things, but I need you to go with the same people to the same places talking about the same things. Because the environment won't change. Walk all the way through those symptoms. Walk through the symptoms. Walk through the corrupt process that's set up that way. And all we, all they do is just put the hands up. I don't know. Hey, at least we have something, Adam. Okay, at least there's something, you know. And I have a friend that that antidepressants work for. I have a friend, okay, that is in pain and needs opiates. And you're making it tough for them to get opiates now because you're saying this shit. Eighty thousand people died last year, dude. I'm sorry, your friend has issues getting pain medications. Well, rehab worked for me. Good. I'm fucking awesomely thrilled for you. I really am, man. I swear to God I am. But what about the other 90%, man? What about them? Who's speaking for the dead people now? Who's speaking for them other than those families that lost them? Hmm? How's that work, y'all? I've been on a rampage. You have to fix the system. Fix the system of treatment. Treat the people within the environments. Help them adjust their environments, their biology. Do not convince them it's a disease so you can treat them the way you feel it needs to be treated, which makes you money. Change the system, people. Change the system. Stop convincing people what they got. Just because you went through it and it worked for you don't mean it works for everybody. And the statistics don't lie at 90% recidivism rate at most rehabs, government facilities, including private facilities. Look up some of the net worth of some of those people that own those rehab facilities. It's ridiculous. And if you don't adhere to the rules, oh, you're outed. You're outed. I got death threats from so-called AA and NA mafia. I did. I did. Even they were pissed off. Hmm. I'm pissed off people are still dying. I'm pissed off that we have more awareness now than ever. And more people are dying. That's a fact. The rest you may argue subject or subjective to me or opinion. But look up the facts. More people died last year than ever. From prescription overdoses, from opiates to benzos to fentanyl. And a combination of all. But yet we have more awareness than ever. When does awareness actually move to change? When do we push the dial? Oh, it's baby steps, Adam. A little change at a time. All right. Well, 115 people died tonight just in the middle of this podcast right now. Let's not even get into veterans. We need change out here, people. We need change. We need change in the system. We need change in the diagnosis treatments. We need to treat people within their realistic environments for proper scientific observations for prognoses or determinations of whether the medications are actually working for them. If the medications were working for them, why do 90% of them come back? Because they're not working. Yeah, told you I was going to come out hard tonight. And thank you, Haystack, for 
breathing some grace and some fire back into me about the fight and the war that's still going on. That's still going on. It's still going on today. People are dying. People died today. People will die tomorrow. And we have the greatest resources in this wonderful country to be able to offer so much more to those that are in need. But yet we just turn our cheek and we blame them for their choices. There is personal choice in it. There is. But there's so much more that we can offer them. And for those of you that care about the revenue more than life or the cost of saving a life, it's cheaper my way. It's cheaper the way I'm telling you. Treat them within their environments. Occupational therapists, EMD trauma therapists, you throw everything at them that you can, even if you got to work with them within their home for two years to help them get technical skills, education, job placement, change environments while their biology is changing. Stop convincing them that they have some disease that they'll never escape or some diagnosis that defines who they are. When we stop treating the symptoms and we treat the root of it, the communities, the environments, when we start treating those things, in the long run, we're going to save more lives, which I'm not even going to attempt to put a dollar sign on when it's your baby. But I bet they don't go back to rehab. That's why I do this, people. That's why I started this rampage. That's why I said what I said. That's why I threw my degrees to the wind and said, fine, fire me, but you're going to hear me. You're going to hear me. That's why I did it, y'all. That's why I took everything that I had in my life and I threw it up to the wind to do this, man. I'm telling you, more people need to do it. I ain't shit out here saying nothing. I'm just one, I'm just one dude, man. Haystack's just one dude out there reaching people in the audience, saying his prayers before he starts that show, reminding them of the people in the communities on how they need to stand up for their own communities and make this change. But if we start protesting these doctors, we start protesting these symptoms, we start protesting these insurance companies that only pay up to what? When we start protesting them, we scare them. We scare them and then change happens. Something. It takes all of us. It takes all of us. And I hope it doesn't take all of us to lose somebody before we try to change things for real. I hope it doesn't come in your backyard. I hope it doesn't affect your life. I love y'all, man. To those we've all lost out there, we miss and love y'all too. That's who we got to fight for. I hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're taking care of those around you too. Hope you're living your cognitive rampage. Yeah. This for all my people that grew up being told that they would be dead in the penitentiary by the time they were grown. And then you wonder why they got depression, self-esteem, anxiety issues, you know. After so long, you start to believe it. I recall everything I was told. Boy, you never lived to be 18 years old. Dead or incarcerated just like those people who wander down similar roads. Leaving out the house, you say, please don't go. Granny, why you stay trying to save my soul? If death is my destiny, like you had said to me, let me get busy before he gets the best of me. Don't you know bullets don't have no brain? And a lot of youngers don't have no Because I'm going insane, I'm strapped up because he is shy, cause she is. Meanwhile, dude who teach chemistry is in his office with a kid doing shit I get expelled for.
which makes me wonder why people go to jail Even for it. I did die young, so uh, nobody expected me to ever grow up. Grandmama lectured me, you better grow up. But there was no telling me I wasn't grown up. Even if I did die young, so uh, nobody expected me to ever grow up. Grandmama lectured me, you better grow up. But there was no telling me I wasn't grown up. I'm a kid peeping injustice, y'all, let's slide. But you're so quick to point out what made me draw that line blinded by my own design i'm doing fine no i'm not i'm doing bad but i'm so afraid to talk y'all got shit going on i don't want to bother y'all pops cut from a different cloth never be the man he was thought i was slow i turned out to be a genius and i ain't returned like eat my peanuts let our bank statements be the difference between us if i seem distant bitch i'm 30 something i was supposed to end up in a murder victim my grandpa prayed till his knees gave way if he can't save me Save Jason the way I went in, that's all the explanation. I know some bad dudes, enough to know I ain't even if I did die young, so uh nobody expected me to ever grow up. Grandma lecture me, you better grow up. But there was no telling me I wasn't grown up. Even if I did die young, so uh nobody expected me to ever grow up. Grandma lecture me, you better grow up. But there was no telling me I wasn't grown up. I was confused, and you can hear it in my rhetoric. In retrospect, I never should have made it back. I wrote my senator and never got a letter back. My friend Chris got killed for a Cadillac. My man Mike died for a powder pack. So understand why I could think that I was next. Under attack, guns and crack. Or the motherfucking police shoot us in the back. And uh, they think it only happens to black. And refuse to believe it almost happened to stack. Stabbed in the back, blood beating through a heart filled with crack. Soldiered up, fought through that. Injuries, a lot of players don't walk.